Hi, and welcome to Awake, a Sleeping Beauty audiobook podcast based on the YA fantasy novel of the same name, Awake, by Holly Gary. Thanks for joining us. Let's get into the story. Awake, Part 3. The Lady's Victory. Chapter 14. We had five more days in Lille. Amede was nearly beside himself. He wanted to leave for Cherbourg immediately. I convinced him that wasn't prudent. Rémy and I hatched a plan. We had train tickets back to Paris, and from there to Rennes. Once we made it to Paris, we'd have our tickets switched to take us to Cherbourg instead. We would write to our family, so they'd know we were all right. We would deal with our anger later. We couldn't disappear now, from under my aunt's roof. Disappearing in Paris would be so much easier. But I understood his restlessness. I felt it, too. I wanted this all to be over. We were also bored. We had accomplished our mission. We had already explored a lot of the town. And it was hot. Rémy had two more dates with Michel. I continued to feel guilty about that. But otherwise, the three of us spent much of our time that week sitting in the Jardin Vauban. It was shady and cool, filled with flowers and old trees and little pools and a man-made waterfall. Even walking the five minutes from my aunt's house to the garden left me sweaty and tired. We sprawled out under the trees and fanned ourselves with books we'd borrowed from my aunt's library and took turns reading aloud to each other. None of it distracted us from the task that loomed before us. On Friday morning, we left. I walked out of the building to see Michel hovering on the sidewalk, waiting to say goodbye to my brother. They had a little scene together, kissing and whispering promises, while I sat awkwardly in the car with my aunt, Amede, and André, who was driving us to the station. We all looked pointedly away from the sidewalk scene, but I kept sneaking glances. Odette aside, the idea of my little brother having a love affair was a little strange to think of. In my mind, he was still about ten, and a little humiliating compared to my own romantic failures. Finally, he dragged himself away from Michel and joined us in the car. She watched, crestfallen, as we drove away. He waved to her out the back window, then said nonchalantly, we promised to write each other. My aunt only seemed amused by all this. I guessed that she wasn't yet concerned with finding Rémy a suitable wife, so for now he could dally all he wanted. Amede was lost in space, not paying attention to any of this. The rest of us went quiet, too. We drove the twenty minutes or so to the station. We passed again through much of the old town, including the main square, but we didn't see Auguste Street again. I would have been sad to leave, except that I knew we didn't have to go home yet. I wanted to reach the end of this, to find Auguste, but I didn't want to bury myself in small-town Bretagne again. What will you do instead? I asked myself. My aunt saw us off outside the train station, hugging each of us in turn. You can always come and visit again, she said. But I hope I'll be visiting you again soon for a wedding. She winked at Amede and me, and I thought to myself, don't count on it. 
On the train, the boys slept. I watched the scenery instead. There wasn't a lot to see. Endless fields and the occasional bombed-out building. The day was dreary and rainy. I didn't look forward to navigating Paris in that weather. I didn't even have an umbrella. We arrived at the Guerre du Nord before noon. We took our time, first posting our letters in a box outside the station, one to my parents, one to Amédée's aunt. Rémy posted something, too. I didn't know to whom. We went back inside, bought sandwiches in the station, and sat down to eat. When we'd finished, I went up to the ticket booth, mustering as much confidence as I could. I stood in line for a while, and when I reached the window, I explained that our travel plans had changed and that we needed to go to Cherbourg instead of Rennes. The lady at the window didn't ask any questions. I don't know why I thought she would. Just issued me three new tickets and handed me a refund, because apparently going to Cherbourg cost less. I'd assumed we'd be heading back to Montparnasse, to the station where we'd first arrived. Didn't all trains to the northwest leave from there? But no, the ticket lady directed us to the Guerre Saint-Lazare, on the right bank, nearer the center of town. Unlike my aunt, we braved public transportation, taking a bus to the other station. We waited an hour for the train, and then our trip to Cherbourg was another three hours. I wished I had something to read. The western suburbs of Paris passed by my window, giving way to farmland, and then eventually to the small towns of Normandie. Quite a few people got on and off at Caen, the capital of Lower Normandy. The city was clearly still scarred by the intense bombing it had suffered during the war. I caught glimpses of William the Conqueror's castle, and I remembered Hyacinth saying that he'd been born from the magic of the Norman conquest. He had been in that castle, surely. He had known William and his knights. We made our way up the Cotentin Peninsula. It was lush, green country, but I saw little besides cows and the occasional church. The massive Bieux Cathedral caught my eye. It had once housed the famous tapestry depicting the conquest, which only made me think of Hyacinth more. Was he stitched into those images? Had he accompanied the Normans to England? Had he helped defeat Harold Godwinson? I ached to know everything he had ever done, from the most remarkable to the most mundane. I pressed my head to the cool glass of the window and tried to think of anything else. The train stopped at Bologna, the last station before ours. I nudged the boys. We're nearly there. Maybe twenty minutes later, the rain-swept town of Cherbourg came into view at the window. I saw white, yellow, and stone buildings huddled against each other, punctuated by a few church spires. Everything was overshadowed by a tall, rocky ridge with a pale structure on top. The train pulled into the station and stopped. We collected our luggage and descended, walking along the platform and through the station. We stepped out onto the street. The town was gone. I had just seen it so clearly out the window. And now it wasn't there anymore. Just a barren expanse of land. We stopped dead. I turned back, and everyone else, our fellow train passengers, 
The people who'd been waiting at the station, the people who worked there, were gone too. An icy chill came over me, accompanied by a building terror, the like of which I'd only felt once before in the forest of Proceliande. There was dark magic here, and we were trapped in it. Both of the boys turned to me, shocked, and waited for me to say something. It took me a moment. My mind raced, running through every possible explanation for what was going on. Finally, I said, I think Ipome may be here. Amede's knees buckled. Remy caught him before he fell. He took Amede's suitcase and put it on the ground. The pavement beneath our feet was still there, at least. I had said the name a little too easily. I had never discussed the evil fairy or her tricks in the forest with Amede, but I realized now that he must have spent his whole life living in fear of her, burdened with the knowledge that she'd killed his parents, that she hoped to do the same to him, that Hyacinth's spell was the only thing standing in her way. I'm sorry, I said to him. I don't know for sure, but there's dark magic here, and it makes sense that it would be her. If Hyacinth's realm extended this far, hers probably did too. I looked out at the flat expanse of land where the town had been. In the distance, I could see the sea. I couldn't think of anything to do but to walk in that direction. We left our luggage where the station had been. There was nothing in it that could help us, and we had bigger problems than potentially losing it. Walking towards the sea, everything we passed was surreal. The buildings were completely gone, but you could still see traces of streets. We followed the one that seemed to lead into where the center of town had been. We came to a canal. There were no boats in it, just a lone piece of cloth once a sail, floating along. The rain had started back up, cold for summer, soaking us through after only a couple of minutes, and fog was rolling in off the English Channel. Ahead of us, I could see a statue of a man on horseback, perhaps the only thing left of the town. There wasn't a single living soul besides the three of us anywhere in sight, we might as well have been the only people left at the end of the world. Amede was crying again, and Remy looked more stunned and lost than I had ever seen him, so it was clearly up to me to figure out what to do. I stopped walking. It didn't seem like the sea was going to yield any more answers than the land. What was I even hoping to find? Some clue as to how to undo this? I wondered if the town was gone for good or if Ipame could bring it back if she chose. And I wondered how far her curse had spread. Were the surrounding villages intact? Was all of France gone? What about England? My best thought, if she had only cursed Cherbourg, was for us to walk back south and hope to eventually reach another town from which we could call our parents or hitch a ride back home. We would have to abandon our mission. What other choice was there? Lightning flashed behind us, and I turned instinctively. It looked unnatural, greenish. It lit the top of the ridge I'd seen from the train. 
and in that flash of light I saw that there was one building left in Cherbourg, the one on the crest of the hill. She's there, I said. A sudden certainty hit me. The sun would rise in the east, and Ipome was on top of the ridge. I pointed, and the boys followed my finger. We have to go up there? Jaime sounded tired and dubious. I made a snap decision. No, you two can stay here. I'll go and find her. I fought her once before. Of course, that time I had done it with fairy armor and a fairy sword, which I had later returned to Hyacinth. Now I had only my wits. Much good would they do me. But I wasn't going to let Ipame ruin any of our lives. Not without a fight, at least. As I marched off towards the ridge, the boys followed me anyway. I stopped, surprised. Jaime rolled his eyes at me. You didn't actually think we'd let you do that, bonehead. I sighed, secretly relieved. We went together. Thank you for listening to Chapter 14 of Awake by Holly Gary. If you're enjoying yourself, feel free to leave us a review and share us with other book lovers. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Awake the Podcast, and you can follow Holly, the author, on Twitter at HollyGary7 and on TikTok at Holly and Writer. You can look forward to Chapter 15 coming out next week. In Chapter 15, Celestine, Remy, and Amede battle Ipome. Until then, happy reading, and we hope your week is fantastical. <laughs>